You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Psalm 131. Uh, Psalms are often in the Bible songs. I'm not sure if you know that. Songs uh, written by different psalmists. Uh, pouring out their heart before the Lord and saying uh, to the people of God or crying out to the Lord and and expressing themselves in different ways. And so today in Psalm 131, as we think about the theme, hoping in the Lord, we are going to see uh, not only a psalm uh, that encourages us to hope in the Lord, but very few words uh, to hope in the Lord. You can see maybe in your Bible that Psalm 131 is only three verses. Uh, This is a short song. And it's the second shortest psalm in the Bible. And we're going to see the theme, hope in the Lord. But in these verses today, uh, in light of hoping in the Lord, what we're going to see is it's not just any heart that hopes in the Lord. Uh, There are certain type of conditions on your heart that hopes in the Lord. And so we're going to be talking about the heart that hopes, and we're going to be looking at what these conditions are. And maybe to help you understand and remember, I want to show you a graphic of our psalm today. So Psalm 131 is going to reveal to us three hearts. And the first heart we're going to see in Psalm 131 verse 1 is the humble heart. That's the first condition. We're going to see how the heart that hopes in the Lord is a heart that's content in the Lord. And we will see in our third verse, the heart that hopes in the Lord is a heart that's surrendered completely to the Lord. So maybe that's a picture that you'll take with you and think, ah, when I come to Psalm 131, I remember three hearts. And then hopefully by the end of today, we will see together what those hearts are together. So it's New Year's, and many of us, uh, we like to make New Year's resolutions. Put your hand up maybe if you like to make a resolution when you start a year, or you're brave enough to put your hand up, because I know many of you don't have your hand up. But statistically, many of us make New Year's resolutions. We forecast the coming year, we make decisions, or we look back on a previous year and say, wow, I'm going to make changes. And so we say things when we make New Year's resolutions, like, I hope to. I want to give you some examples that maybe you can relate to. So maybe this year your resolutions might sound something like this. I hope to be more organized. I hope to read more. I hope to spend more time with family. I hope to lose a little weight. Not that you need to. I hope to hit goals at work, in my workplace. I hope to help my toddler learn their ABCs. I hope to apply for, get into, and begin university. We have different types of resolutions when we hope for things, but maybe today you would consider making a resolution to say, this year, I hope to hope in the Lord. And that by hoping in the Lord, that you would be pursuing conditions of your heart, saying, God, this year as I hope in you, give me a humble heart, a content heart, a surrendered heart. Now, I'd be willing to guess that maybe not many of our, our New Year's resolutions involve hoping in the Lord, but maybe we'll see today and be encouraged and what that looks like. The reason why hoping in the Lord is so important for us is because as we live in a chaotic and an uncertain and a wild world, we say, God, I hope in you. I can't seem to figure out what's going on or, or nothing in this world seems to satisfy me, but I do know that I can hope in you. 
And maybe we'll see that in Psalm 131 today. I wanna begin by reading verse one as we begin to look at our first heart condition of the heart that hopes in the Lord. Let's read verse one. It says this, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And so point number one, the first type of heart condition that hopes in the Lord is the humble heart. It's a heart that says, you are God. And maybe we might add and say, and I am not. Essentially, verse one is saying, God, I know my place. I know who I am. I know who you are. And therefore, I do not make too much of myself. Look how David does that in the first verse of this psalm. He says three negative statements of things he's actively doing but not doing. But let's take a look at what he says here. He says, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. And thirdly, I do not occupy myself. And so let's walk through each one of these together. The first thing he says in verse one, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. This is David saying, Lord, my heart is not proud. My heart is not too high. Now, when the Bible talks about the heart being lifted up, it's never a good thing. It's always bad news. When your heart is lifted up, it's considered to be prideful. But when we think about the Lord being lifted up, it's always used in the positive sense, like worship. Lord, we lift up our hearts to you, for you are worthy. But in this context here, David says, Lord, I am not seeking a prideful life. I'm seeking humility. My heart is not lifted up. Let's look at the second thing he says. He says, also, my eyes are not raised too high. In the same sense, he's saying, God, my eyes are not lifted up. I don't make more of myself than I actually am. He's speaking about pride again. Proverbs 30, verse 13, talks about the eyes that are lifted up and referring to pride. In Proverbs 30, verse 13, it says, how lofty are the eyes of the prideful? How high are their eyelids lifted? And David says, I'm not pursuing that, Lord. I don't want to be prideful. I want to be humble before you. And he finishes the first one by saying this. Here's why. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. What this means is David says, I I do not, literally he says, I do not walk about in ways that are too great or marvelous. I know my place. I know the things that concern me and the things that don't concern me. I know that I am not God and that you are God. And so there's some things that I leave to you. Now think about the theme of walking in the Bible. Maybe there's some verses that might come to mind, verses maybe you've memorized before. Think of, for example, Psalm 23. It says that when God brings us through trials, that we walk not through the valley of the shadow of death and fear evil because God is with us. But walking is a theme in the Psalms that we see. David uses this Psalm psalm as an example, but we also see it all throughout the Bible. Psalm 1 begins by saying, blessed is the man and woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but their delight is on the law of the Lord. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter five, he says, walk not as unwise, but as wise, because the days that we are living in are evil. And then Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter seven, 
He says there are two, two roads in life, two paths to walk on, to walk down. And narrow is the road, and the way is hard, but it leads to eternal life, but there are few who find it. So be careful how you walk. Pursue the narrow road. And so David is saying in this psalm, God, I know my place. I know that you are God. I am not God. And so there are things in my life as I walk through life, as I journey down the road of life, there's certain things that I do not concern myself with because they belong to you. What are those things for you? What are the things in your life that God might say to you, my child, those things don't concern you. Maybe it's the seeking after certain answers in your life. If I just had the big picture or if I had all the details or if I knew how all this would play out or I just need to keep pursuing or seeking or longing after this situation and eventually it's gotta come true, God would say, my child, I am God, you are not, just let it go. Maybe this reminds us of verses like Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. You see what God tells us in Deuteronomy 29, 29. There are things that I show you in this life, I reveal to you, I give to you because I want you to obey me and live your life for me and love me, but you don't know everything. God says, I withhold some things. The things that are not revealed to us, we might say from this passage. The things that are too great or too marvelous, God says, those are the things that belong to me because I am God and you are not. And so David says, God, as I pursue a life of humility, I just know there's things in this world that don't concern me. I won't ever know them. All the longing, all the seeking, all the pursuing, it will never come to an answer because you are the God who knows all the details of life. Maybe for some of you here today, that's your life story. That's how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. It was a life of seeking or longing or pursuing or over and over again you said, God, I will give my life to you when I figure this out, when I have all the answers or, or when I get the details straight or how I can reconcile this in my world or my life and I can re- reconcile this with your word. But your testimony is one that says, when I gave that to the Lord, when I gave him all the things that were great and marvelous, that is when I found true hope when I was humble enough to say, God, I am not God. I do not know everything. And I'm okay with that because you and you alone are God. It's like the parent that uh, says to their child when they come to you and they say, you know, what were you talking about? Or, or what about this? Or can you give me an answer to this? And the, the parent looks at their child and says, I love you, but this doesn't concern you. This is none of your business. David says, God, my heart is humble enough to say, you are God, I am not, and I'm good with this. I am not walking through life and worrying about the things that are too great and too marvelous. It's almost like Paul writes in Philippians 2 and 3 where where he says, I have learned how to live in this world. He calls the believers in, in the Philippi to be able to say, I want you to seek humility, 
to pursue a lifestyle of being humble. He gives them examples. Count others more significant than yourselves. Don't do things out of selfish ambition. In fact, this theme of God loving the humility in our lives is not random. It's something that's all throughout the Bible. You could go home today and you could search passages in the Bible where God talks about humility or being humble and and contrast that with pride and being proud before the Lord and you'll find all kinds of verses. I want to share just a few of them today to help you see uh, why David is writing this. In Psalm 18 verse 27, we can Read a psalm that says, For you save a humble people, but the haughty or the proud eyes you will bring down. Psalm 147, verse 6, The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. And in Proverbs 21, verse 4, Haughty haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. Here's some from the New Testament. James 4, 6, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. God loves the humble heart. And the humble heart is one that hopes in him, because The humble heart says, God, why would I hope in myself when I can hope in you? Because you alone are God. That's condition of your heart number one. Let's read verse two to find out what else uh, the type of heart that hopes in the Lord is. Verse two says this, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. So point number two then, the heart that hopes in the Lord is also a content heart. It's a heart that says, you, God, are all that I need. There's nothing else that I need. You know, this time of year, it's particularly uh, interesting or maybe even comical for us to think about being content. Two examples that come to mind this time of year. A number of weeks ago, uh, our world seems to celebrate more and more every year, something called Black Friday. And so Black Friday, if you think about it, is situated right around the time of Thanksgiving. And so what the world seems to be saying in Black Friday is, once I gather all of these things, then I can be thankful. Or depending on when you shop for Black Friday, you sit down at the Thanksgiving table with friends and family and talk about the things you're thankful for, and then you have a desire to go out and to accumulate more as if you weren't thankful. Or we celebrate Christmas, which... For Christians is the reminder that God gave the gift of Jesus. He came down into this world, and yet we do exchange gifts with each other as a reminder of the gift that God gives us, perhaps. But then the very next day, we have Boxing Day. And we feel the temptation to go out and again accumulate for ourselves things because maybe we are not content. But if we are content, then we still feel this tension of why do we need to go and accumulate more? So sometimes we justify that and say, well, you know, that contentment, the making of lists, the things I want, the things I need, here's what I'd like, here's a gift idea for me, you know, that's just for children. But we often maybe say those things, don't get me a gift, or I have everything I need, because we're sitting in a living room with a TV and a fireplace and sitting on a couch, 
scrolling our phones. Front, front door, and there's a basket with our keys to the car, maybe multiple, and we're in good health, and we're in a room filled with friends and family. It's no wonder in Western Christianity we give God our leftovers because there's nothing else in our lives we need him for. But what if that was all stripped away this year? What if you lost some or all of that? Would God be enough for you? Maybe some of you in your lives, you have learned this lesson. God has given you in his grace the opportunity to see that Christ is enough. You've lost something. You've lost someone. And yet in the pain or the void, you've learned to say, but God is enough for me. I am content in him. And so David says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. I am content in God. There is nothing else that I need. Maybe for some of us today, the pursuit in your life, the journey that you are on, maybe this year begins not by pursuing more, but by stopping and beginning to practice calmness and quietness before the Lord. Thinking about all that he gives you, learning to be content as David writes in verse two. Learning to say, God, you are enough for me. Psalm 23, David writes words by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or some translations say, I lack nothing. The reason he can write this is because when you have a good shepherd watching and caring over you in your life, there is nothing else you need. There's nothing more you could ever ask for because you know that God is enough for you. An example of this we see in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. His name was Saul before his life got changed. He was on the road to Damascus persecuting Christians. And he hears the voice of Jesus and, and Jesus calls him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And calls him to a life to be a gospel witness where he would advocate and speak of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But everything wasn't easy for Paul in his life. When he turned his life around and decided to obey this call, he was one who was persecuted. He was tried often. He was arrested many times. He was stoned and shipwrecked. He was beaten for his faith. He was excommunicated from churches. They attempted to kill him. We read about this physical pain that Paul lived throughout his whole life with that he prayed God would take away, but God said, it's there for you that you would trust in my sufficiency. And yet in all of these things, Paul was able to say, I have learned the secret of being content. In fact, in Philippians 2, I wanna show you what he alludes to. Talking about Jesus, he says, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's the celebration of Christmas in verse eight. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Paul says, if I have that good news, then I am good. If I lose everything in my life, then this is gain. Because Christ lived and died for me. And if he has reconciled himself 
to me and me to him, then what more would I want or long for in this life? God, you are all that I need. So how do we get there? How do we get a heart that is content enough to hope in the Lord and say, God, you are really all that we need? Maybe for some of us beginning a new year, it looks like the practice of making lists of all the things that God has blessed you with. Maybe it's inviting friends or family to speak into your life and say, give me reasons why I should be content and hope in God. And then they'll list for you all the things that you have in life that say, this is all from the Lord. And maybe you feel like your life doesn't have much and maybe you have a friend or a family member or God would speak to you through his word and say, but you have me. You have Jesus. You could have Jesus. So maybe it involves making lists or asking people. Maybe it involves the regular practice of stillness in your life of just saying, God, would you just search my heart? See if there's any discontent in me where I am not believing that you are all that I need. There's a quote I want to share with you from Warren Wearsby. And he says this, real contentment must come from within. You and I cannot change or control the world around us, but we can change and control the world within us. So God, search my heart and see if there would be any grievous way in me. Am I really content in you? Am I really hoping in you? I can't control this world around me, but God, lead me to the place to say, I hope in you. And so if we find contentment not in ourselves then, we are maybe open to the idea of being content in God. Let's look at how David describes this. In verse two, he says, but I've calmed and quieted my soul. And then he gives us this illustration. And that contentment is like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. He says this twice. So he compares his contentment to a child who no longer needs to be fed from its mother. Many of our moms know this moment. They know this experience as their child is finished feeding and it's this beautiful moment of your child full and warm and sleepy and lying on your chest and there's nothing else in this world that your child needs because they're perfectly content. But David says, my contentment is like a child who's been weaned. It's past tense. I I no longer need to be fed from my mother anymore. He says, it's like a child who's been weaned and now needs its mother for different things. I don't come to you for food anymore. I come to you just because I want to be close and near and satisfied in you. In fact, in Psalm 131, to help us understand this, there might be a, a title at the beginning of your psalm. Maybe look in your Bible, see if it says something like a song of ascent. There's 15 psalms in the Bible that are attributed to songs of ascent. And these were uh, songs that were written as God's people were journeying. They were read or recited or sung or meditated upon as they were journeying, maybe to cities like Jerusalem to celebrate feasts and festivals. So think about that context, and now look back in verse 2, where David describes his contentment like a a weaned child with its mother. Imagine this psalm being recited together or being sung together, but in this context, it's a child who's carrying the child 
No longer needing to be fed, but in closeness and in protection and in provision. David says, that is the real contentment I have in my life for the Lord. Because if there's any need that I have, I know that just like the mother for the child, God will provide all of my needs that I need. And maybe more importantly, God knows exactly what I need and not what I want. And so when we think about contentment in that sense, think about church, how much God provides and cares for you. He knew exactly what you and I needed to the point that he sent his son Jesus to this world to be born as a baby. Because he was fully God and fully man, he lived a perfect life but then he died a complete death on a cross undeservingly because God knew what you and I needed most was someone to reconcile us back to God, to forgive us of our sin before a holy God and say, by faith in my son Jesus, what you need most is a savior that saves you now and gives you eternal life because of faith in Christ. That is what God has done for us so that we can be content. So that like Paul, we say too, I have learned the secret of being content. It's putting faith in Jesus and knowing that God will supply and provide all of my needs in Christ Jesus. He's done that for you. You can be content in him. And when we find contentment in the Lord, it gives us joy and life to say, there's nothing this world can offer. There's nothing in this world that will satisfy the longing I have like what God has done for me in Jesus. And Matthew Henry talks about this joy uh, that we get from our lives. He says, the joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. God, if I have you, there's nothing in this world that can tempt me. I have a distaste for anything else other than you. David says, that's contentment. I've calmed and quieted my soul like that weaned child, like a weaned child is my soul within me. So think about our lives as well. Are you content in Jesus Christ? The heart that hopes in the Lord is a heart that's humble, the heart that is also content. But now let's look at verse three and see the third condition, the third heart that hopes in the Lord. Verse three says, O Israel, O people of God, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Hope in the Lord. Don't miss that detail in verse three. David doesn't write and say, oh, Israel, hope in the things of this world, hope in your family, hope in your friends, hope in your pleasure, hope in your entertainment, hope in your health, hope in your mask, hope in your vaccine, hope in those you think you trust, hope in your friends who have been there all through your life. David says, hope in the Lord. And yet our culture says, hope in anything but the Lord. Our culture says, let us wean you away from a savior who saves you. And we say, my will is to do the will of whatever I want. And Jesus said, my will is to do the will of my father who sent me. And so when Psalm 131 verse 3 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, David is saying, people of God, like my example, I am now calling on you to trust or put your faith in God alone. 
He gives a time frame. He says, from this time forth and forevermore. We're in this for the long haul. People of God, trust, believe, delight in God today and for the rest of your life. And you will find hope and contentment in Jesus. But hoping in the Lord requires us to surrender things in this life. It requires us perhaps to be tempted by certain things and then to reject them and say, no, that will not satisfy. I will not surrender my life, my only life that I have to live. I will not give it to that. I will give it to Jesus. It's a life that gives up dreams, gives up feelings, gives up identity, gives up passions, gives up glory to say, God, you can have it all because you can do more with my life than I can. In fact, D.L. Moody says this. He talks about how we can give our life to the Lord. There's a slide. I'll quote it. He says, let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. Think about that. We want to keep our lives for ourselves because we think that we can muster up something that will amount to anything. And, and Moody says, no, give your life to the Lord. Hope in the Lord. He can do more with it than you can. That is why you hope in the Lord. Because God wants to take your life and use it for his glory in this life. I want you to look back at Psalm 131 and to close our time today. I want to read for you a, a paraphrase that I was just working on in my own life. In fact, this is maybe a helpful devotional tool. When you read through passages to say, I'm going to rewrite this in my own words to understand what God's word is trying to tell me. And so I want, to, I want you to follow through Psalm 131, just a couple of verses, as I read this and maybe some different words that will resonate and connect with you with what David is saying here. Beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 131, it says something like this, Oh God, I know my place. You are God and I am not. Therefore, I have rest and peace knowing that all I need is you because you care for me. Verse 3, O oh people of God, hope in the Lord now and all through your life. The invitation that you and I have today is to read the psalm and, and maybe at the beginning of a year to say, God, I, I have not had a humble heart. I am not content in you. I have not fully surrendered it all to you. Maybe you're here today, you're listening today and thinking, I don't think I've ever surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. But if that's who God is and what he provides, if God can give me true hope in life, you are called today, O oh people of God, to hope in the Lord. It's one psalm with three different types of hearts. Not everyone hopes in the Lord. It's the heart that says, I'm humble enough, I'm content enough, and I want to surrender all of it to the Lord because he's my one and true hope. As a reminder of what we see in this psalm, Psalm 131. It's one psalm, three different types of hopes that hope in the Lord, hearts, but it's one hope in Jesus Christ alone. To close our time today, we're going to have a song sung over you. I want to share some of the lyrics of 
this song on the screen that I pray that the Lord would speak to you in this moment, maybe just to be calm and quiet before him and just to think about this. Look, look at the lyrics of the song. It says, when the oceans rise and the thunders roar. Maybe some of you, that's your life right now. I will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the flood. I will be still and know that you are God. It says, find rest, my soul, in Christ alone. Know his power in quietness and trust. Maybe you've never really quieted yourself before the Lord and just calmed your heart. Maybe your life has been going so fast, it's been so busy, there's so much running and striving and seeking that God's calling you today just to stop and be still and to know that he is God, that he is in control, that no matter the circumstance that you are in, that God has you because he is God over the storms. As a song is being sung, maybe today you want to just bow your heads or maybe you want to bow on your knees or hold your hands out or your hands up. We want to sing the song over you as a prayer. And so as we do that, I would love to be able to pray for us today as we close our time. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you that you have not left us on our own. That we can be calm and quiet and still and know that you are God. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who makes this possible. So God, today, in, in these final moments, as this song is sung over your people, I pray that you would work in people's lives. Maybe some here today need to be encouraged to know that as a father for his children, you are in control of the trials in this life the difficulties, the discouragement, the loneliness, that you are a God who is near to the brokenhearted. Lord, maybe some today come here and have their hearts and their eyes lifted higher than we should. Would there be grace for those to seek humility? To say, God, you are God alone and I am not. Maybe some here today, Lord, have been concerning themselves with things too great and too marvelous for us. Would they find rest in you and say, God, would you have it and take it? You know it. Some here today, maybe God, are not content. Would you satisfy? Maybe some here today have forgotten that God is their hope. They're encouraged to hope in the Lord. Start of a new year trials, chaos, uncertainty. Lord, whatever situations people are in, I pray you encourage them to hope in the Lord and that there be rest in you. So Father, move now. Would your spirit be working in us, encouraging us that you are here to surrender it all to you and to you alone.